It's Sunday morning and we are moving into the end of May. Tomorrow is the 27th, I believe, isn't it? And that's called Memorial Day, where they're honoring all the veterans of the wars and honoring the different good wars we've had, I guess they call them. Uh, And I have... I'm trying to explain to you the truth about the Bible and the truth about America. The Bible says we are blessed when we are reproached. Blessed are ye. Guess one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Luke uh, 6, 22 and 26. If you'll read that with me. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you. Now, why would men hate us? Well, they'll hate us for telling the truth. They're not going to hate us for telling a smooth lie. Nobody minds a lie. And I've been telling people for years, the hardest thing for me to learn to understand when I was young, I was always very objective. I'd look at truth and say, well, this looks like the truth to me. But I was afraid to say it out loud because everybody was disagreeing with it. When I would be in an algebra class and the teacher would ask a question, and I would say, well, i got a question about that, but I wouldn't say it. Because I thought, how can I be right and the whole class be wrong? And I found out all of America is wrong about everything. We've been sold a real bill of goods in America. We've been told what a Christian nation we are. We've never been a Christian nation, not even from the start. First of all, George Washington, Ben Franklin, and, and Thomas Jefferson were not Christians. They said they weren't. They were self-avowed. That means they said it themselves that they weren't deist. Oops, let me erase this. They were deist. A deist is one who believes in a deity, but he doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus as a Savior. Now, I've got all kinds of information on these guys. They weren't at all what we were told. They were deist. Deist comes from D-I-E-T-Y, a deity is a god. And they believed there were gods out there. Ben Franklin said he believed there was more than one god. Ben Franklin was an idiot, a total <laughs> moron. Why we got his image on uh, 50 cent pieces is beyond me. Why he's on anything. Why Thomas Jefferson is. Why George Washington George Washington was a thief. That's capital T-H-I-E-F. Thief. He stole 10,000 acres of Indian land because he could. There had been a document issued by the Pope when when, uh, Columbus came here. And Columbus, being a Roman Catholic, was given to him by the Roman Catholic Pope and by a Roman Catholic king and queen of Spain, Ferdinand and Isabella. They were given what was called 
the doctrine of discovery. Now you can get this book over at Barnes and Noble. Discover. The Doctrine of Discovery is the title of the book. It will tell you how this document was given to Columbus by Ferdinand and Isabella, directly given to them uh, by the Pope. And he said that any Native Americans in America, they didn't have souls. They were not human beings. You could go in and you could take the land. Wherever you put your flag, you could claim it for you had to be a Caucasian, European, Roman Catholic to claim the land. And anywhere they could put a a flag. And this, the thing about it is, this Doctrine of Discovery has not been repealed. It's still on our books. That's why we can go anywhere and just claim to take things in the name of God and in the name of Jesus. The only thing is, America doesn't serve the Jesus of the Bible. It's the wrong Jesus they're going after. Well, this doctrine of discovery was propagated by Jefferson. They was they were told, all you had to do is place a flag on a river. Everywhere that river went, you could on the banks of a river, everywhere that river went, you were claiming that for your family or for your government. That's what you're doing. And later on, other men got behind this. Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson drove 150,000 Cherokees out of Georgia and drove them to the Indian nation in Oklahoma. 4,500 people died in that big movement of the Indians. And there was like 150,000 that came right through Nashville, right down the Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears runs down this, runs down the highway on the other side of the river, uh, coming up from Lebanon. It's that highway there. I don't even remember what you call it. But it's the Trail of Tears. It came right through Tennessee, and they drove these Indians out there took their land in Georgia, and and Andrew Jackson was behind it. When Thomas Jefferson, T.J. we'll call him, when he sent this these people out west, they said you could take over any land that was being ruled by people that were less than white Caucasian Europeans, Catholics. Any, any land, that would include Mexican land, that would include, we actually took Texas, New Mexico, California, and part of Colorado from the Mexicans and said, we're possessing this under what we called, we redid this doctrine of discovery and called it manifest destiny. This was a work Manifest Destiny was a patriotic thing. It says that God wants us to run all over America and take any land that is being ruled by these heathens like Mexicans, blacks, 
uh, and they didn't have souls. That's what they said during the days of slavery. Black men didn't have a soul. They said the same thing about the American Indian. He didn't have a soul. You can kill him, take his land. It was a bunch of Caucasians. Should I say, it was a bunch of Assyrians. Something else. The Assyrians were between the Black Sea. You say, Jim, you sound like you got something against white people. Like I do. It's not because they're white, though, that I have something against them. It's because they outnumbered everybody else and they were in charge. Whoever's in charge is corrupt. There's an old saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You cannot be in charge and have death to self, daily cross, self-denial, can you? No way. You can't be a Christian being in charge. You have to become infamous. Now, everybody wants to be famous in America, don't they? What do you mean by famous? Well, you have to be famous if you're in real estate. Real estate. You've got to have a lot of people liking you to get them to list houses with you so you can sell their house. You can't list a lot of houses if you're not popular. Friends of the world are enemies of God. We've got this thing twisted in America, don't we? If you're going to sell insurance, you've got to be popular. Everybody's got to like you. Isn't that right? You, people don't. You, people don't. You don't buy insurance from guy. I just hate that guy, but he's my insurance agent. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna buy a house from him, but I hate him. You're not going to do that. You have to like the guy, and he's got to con you into believing you're going to get something that you're probably not going to get. We've got an attitude of... I did a tape one time. I don't get along with white people. And I said in the message, it wasn't because they were white. It's because they outnumbered everybody. And I said in that message, if you're black and you get to a place where you outnumber the white people in America probably won't get along with black people. And if I moved to China, I absolutely wouldn't get along with yellow people. I'm talking about the people that are in charge. We're not in charge as believers, as debt to self. And you can go into anything you want to go into, and you've got to be popular, and people got to like you. Now, I'm not trying to put you down for your job. You can do a good job, but boy, be careful how friendly you get with the world because you may not want to tell them that God may not love you and predestination's true and Christmas is pagan. When you start telling people these things, you get infamous. The word is reproach. Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you. And they say all manner of evil, O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Aniedzo means infamous. We all want to be famous. Well, I hope I don't step on too many people's toes here because you've got to be famous to climb the ladder in business. You know that, don't you? You've got to have the boss liking you. You've got to have all the people liking you. You can't be... How do you live on a job and not be popular. Boy, that is, a, that is a magnificent question. How do you do that? How can you do that and be infamous? That's what the Bible says here. 
And Luke, the sixth chapter, blessed are ye, when you're not famous. Bless ye mean when men shall hate you. Oops, I turned to the wrong page. Here in verse 22, chapter 6 of Luke. Bless ye mean when men shall hate you. Now, what are they going to hate you for? For telling you about America? Here's a book. This is written by Richard Shankman. This is his picture on the back. He is a world-famous historian, highly respected, highly regarded. He used to go on, used to go on, uh, what's his name, show every night? Larry King. Larry King. He used to go on Larry King, but Larry King would not pre-read a book written by his guest because he wanted spontaneity. So he never asked his guests questions that would be embarrassing. So this was on the bestsellers list. Legends, lies, and cherished myths of American history. And he will tell you the truth about Jefferson and Franklin and a whole bunch of others. Now, I've said this before. They said Alexander Hamilton, who started our banking system, one of the early, early church, uh, not church, American fathers, they said he was a Christian. Now, what is he doing going out there pulling a pistol on Aaron Burr and they're shooting at each other if he's such a good Christian? Those were not Christians. Mr. Shankman says he was a researcher for the Library of Congress. He was a... He was a uh, had a master uh, had a doctor's degree in history, researched the Library of Congress. He will tell you truth about history. Do you know that all historians, anyone who graduated from school with a history degree, knows a lot of these truths? We've got a young man that comes here. I don't think he's here this morning. His wife is a nurse, and Dan Wilson. Dan got his degree in from college in history. He came up to me one day and said, I'm very familiar with all these things you've said about... He said, well, not everything, but I'm familiar with a lot of them that you said about history. I've told the story. I went into Texas A&M in the fall of 1957. I graduated in May of high school from May of 57. And I went into Texas A&M, I was 18, went into a history class. And I sat down there, and the professor, the first words out of his mouth, he said, I am not allowed to tell you the truth about American history in 1957 in one of our universities. You give me the answers I give you back on tests. This book is shocking. He's got one called... He's got a book called I Love Paul Revere, Whether He Wrote or Not. Now, he'll tell you he did not make the full ride. He wrote halfway through it and quit. The reason Paul Revere, he will tell you, reason he was famous was because of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow writing the poem The Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, and we had to memorize most of that when I was in high school. That's the only reason he became famous. I can't even begin to tell you all that's in this one book. He says Washington was regarded as an American hero in his own time, of course, but until relatively recently, 
he was also the target of sharp attacks. In his own day, he was roughly savaged by editors who frequently treated him with utter contempt. From the Philadelphia Aurora, published by Ben Franklin's grandson, came this cavil or this warning. If ever a nation was debauched by a man, the American nation has been by Washington. When he died, the paper rejoiced every heart in unison with the freedom and the happiness of the people ought to bear high in exaltation. They ought to have rejoiced at his death, as one writer said. He, he was a surveyor. He, he implemented this doctrine of discovery and since the American Indians weren't humans, and he was behind that, along with Jefferson or most of these others, I don't know why people think that those founders of America were just about a half step below the apostles. They were sinners like us. That's what they were. And he implemented the doctrine of discovery, and he, what made him the richest man of America in his lifetime He surveyed off 10,000 acres of Indian land to himself and just took possession of it. He stole 10,000 acres. He's not the man that everybody thought he was. He wasn't even really that good of a general. Mr. Shingman said the only reason they made him head of the Revolutionary Army, he was the only man that showed up in a general's uniform. Now, that's a good way to do it. it th- these are facts about these guys. It was James Monroe, president in 1823, Monroe, that was behind the Manifest Destiny, which said you can go out west and you can take any land that's in front of you because those are Indians and they don't have souls and they're all... Uh, the, when they die, they're just dead. We have been lied to on every hand. Besides the preachers lying to us now, this day and time. I've got so many things to say on this. I could have brought other books with me, but I don't have time to read all of this. In his dying hours, Washington, a self-styled deist, says so here, he said he was a deist. That is believing there was a God out there that spun all of this universe into orbit and walked away from it and said, now you take care of it, you're humans. Never mentioned God or religion, and he left no money for religious causes in his will. Franklin is said to have believed in the divinity of Christ, but is also reported to have thought that there might be other gods as well. How can you believe in divinity of Christ and believe in other gods? He apparently believed strongly in afterlife when his brother John died in 1756. Franklin told grieving relatives not to be too anxious since all would eventually be joined in some kind of heaven. Why should you and I be grieved of this, he wrote, since we are soon to follow. Everybody gets to go to heaven when you die. I think, I think he kind of propagated that for the world today. Jefferson, oddly enough, was probably more religious than Washington, but remained an iconoclastic to the end. He was a regular Bible reader. Public announced that he was a Christian and even wrote a little book on the morals of Christ. 
But the models of Christ was what Jefferson said was Jefferson's Bible. Jefferson said we didn't need the Old Testament, so he threw all that away. He said we didn't need any of the epistles, and he dismissed them, and he took the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he took a razor blade and cut out all references to the resurrection, to the virgin birth, and to miracles. Cut them out, and he ends this Jefferson's Bible. I got a copy of it at home. Didn't bring it with me. And he ends the Bible. They rolled a stone upon the door and walked away, and that's the end. No resurrection. Jefferson was a heathen. He would die and went to hell. Just, but also thought Christ's statement was defective because when he was crucified, he hadn't yet reached his peak development as a thinker. What? <laughs> Hamilton poses special problems. He was religious at the beginning of his life and at the end, but not in the middle. <laughs> they were just pagans. You, if you get one of these books, you can't hardly put it down. You start reading, going, "Oh, good grief!" I was down here at Rivergate one time, buying some shirts and goods. The guy waiting on me in his fifties, and I said, "What'd you do before you started working here?" And he said, "I was an American history teacher in high school." I said, "Well, then you know the truth about Jefferson and Franklin and the rest of those guys." And he started hum-hawing, going, well, you know, everybody's got a right to their beliefs. He had been seduced by that being an American history teacher. How can you believe this stuff? I am not patriotic. The word patriotic comes from the word pater. And what is pater? Pater is the word father in the Greek. Who is our father? Huh? God and who is our mother Jerusalem. Jerusalem the church I don't when you start pulling the cover off and telling people what it actually the Bible means they get upset and angry we're not supposed to be popular we are supposed to be reproached blessed be you when men make you infamous when they cast out your name as evil that Jim Brown. You still listen to that Jim Brown? I got a shirt. I put that Jim Brown on the back of it. So say so this is that Jim Brown. I've been, I've been real straight with people all my life. When I was in gospel music, I was, I had one of the famous gospel singers. You would know who I'm talking about. Well, he's in a group of of country singers they used to be gospel and he stopped me in one of the restaurants in Nashville one time said come here Jim this is what I was still in gospel music he said when you go into a church don't don't talk about us and tell people about us uh, you can't just tell people about us we've got to follow you into some of those churches I said well if you didn't live the way you live I wouldn't say anything they don't want you to say truth my doctor told me, Dr. Lipolis, my cardiologist, he said, you won't never be a politician, not as plain as you are. No possible way. Now, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be infamous. When you start telling people the truth about the Word of God, this angers people and upsets them. Now, 
Let me read the rest of that verse. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company. How do they do that in our day and time? How do they do that? You tell them Christmas is Christ Mass, it's Roman Catholicism, and it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America, and people will say, but we don't do it that way now. The Bible says, I don't care how you do it, don't do it at all. Don't do Easter. Don't do any of these unholy days. I can't even begin to tell you I've got all these things written down. It's going to take me weeks to go through them. The Bible says that the tree of life is our mother and that Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, is our mother and that God's, our mother and father and brothers and sisters are those who do the will of the Father. That means those of us who are believers, we're going to tell the truth and live in it. I am just sick of the lies in America from the preachers, from the politicians, from the teachers. They don't really care about what the truth is. The scripture says in Proverbs 15, that second verse, that a wholesome tongue, it's going to take me a long time to go through this. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. There's not hardly any wholesome tongues in America. Wholesome Wholesome tongue. Whole tongue is is a, a wholesome. I'll get it right in a minute. Good thing I have Mary down here. Wholesome tongue is a tree of life. And the scripture teaches us time and again that that word wholesome is the word marpe. It means uncorrupt. I don't believe in anything they do to celebrate these holidays. They're celebrating a bunch of men that were not Christians and were not believers. Mr. Shankman tells us that that one-third, one-third of the Revolutionary Army deserted, that those men did not sit around talking about how patriotic we are. They did not do that. They talked about women and food. He said that was their everyday conversation. Let me be plain. About sex and food, that's what he said their conversation was. They weren't any different than the men today. Mr. Jeff- Mr. Jefferson said the book of Revelation was the ravings of a maniac. That's what Thomas Jefferson said about Revelation. He was crazy. He did not, even Mr. Shingman will tell you, he wasn't even looked upon as a church father during his day and time. He was considered a real slick con businessman. He said he didn't believe in slavery, but he said he couldn't run his nail factories without slaves. That was Thomas Jefferson, the man that everybody likes to go see the uh, 
Jefferson Memorial. Mr. Shingman said once they built the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., he became so entrenched in the people's mind that every generation has a group of people that try to bring him off that top rung of the ladder and said he's impossible to dethrone. He's so buried in the people's minds. Well, see, I believe all have sinned, and that includes our so-called founding fathers. They didn't, if they didn't believe in a daily cross and death to self and self-denial and being hated by the world, and they haven't been hated by the world, have they? We have been conned on every hand. What are unwholesome words? Unwholesome, this word marpe, when it's translated into the Greek and the Septuagint, is translated H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Hugiano, that's the word sound doctrine. I heard the great philosopher, Pat Boone, he's a great philosopher. He said, one man's doctrine is another man's garbage. You're an idiot, Pat. Go back to your love letters in the sand. We don't want to hear from you. What a moron. Doctrine is the word didache. Or didascalia, D-I-D-A-S-K. A-L-I-A, didascalia. It means instruction. The time will come when men will not endure sound, uncorrupt instruction of the Word of God. They want to, you can define all the words. I have spent decades defining the words. Forty years just defining the words in the Bible. And people don't care what they're defined. What are the what are the some of the unwholesome words? I made a list of a bunch of them. You can define these to people, they'll go crazy. They don't care. First thing on the list faith healing. Faith healing. I got a lot to say about faith. Faith healing. There is no such thing as faith healing. It is a myth that the Pentecostals have spread. I don't even have to go to the Bible for this. We'll just stay in common, simple, everyday language and understanding. All it takes is good mathematical thinking. When everybody dies of old age, what did they die of? Natural causes. That means... When you get to be, Pentecostals say they can be healed at 30 years old. When they get to be 85 or 90, they can't be healed anymore. Why is that? Because their body is dying. Everybody has physical body and proof that you can't be healed is when your hair starts dying, it starts turning gray like Ron's hair. That means you're dying. Wrinkles this this thing that Mary calls a turkey gobbler under my chin. 
these things come with age. That means your skin is dying. When you get heart attacks, that means you're dying. When you get bronchial asthma, I've had all of this, that means you're dying. When you get prostate cancer, which I've had, that means you're dying. Why is it Pentecostals going to be healed when they're 30 or 25, but they can't when they're 85 or 90? That's because they're dying of old age. I said to a doctor in the hospital one time, Doc, my little brother called me. And he's TBN, used to be on TBN. His name is Dean Brown. And he said, Jimmy, if you'll just receive your healing, you'll be made whole. I said, Dean, let me ask you something. He's on the phone. Let me ask you something. Which word are you talking about, uh, whole, in the New Testament Greek? There's five Greek words for the word whole in the New Testament Greek. He got mad and said, I can't talk to you and slam the phone down. But he told me earlier in that same conversation, you know more about the Bible than anybody I've ever been around. But let me tell you how to use it. <laughs> every time the Bible says, Thy faith has made thee whole. Every time. What you can do, you can look up that word whole in a concordance. Then go over to the word study concordance and look up look up the number of the strongs and it'll tell you how many times that word is used and it will tell you what the word is when they translated it and it'll tell you each time thy word is thy faith has made thee whole the word whole is the word sozo it's the word saved thy faith has made thee sozo saved and saved means to be taken from one point all the way to another point and to be preserved and protected through the entire deliverance. There is one faith. There is not a faith for being healed and a faith for getting money and a faith for getting a job. Faith is death to self. If you're believing somebody else instead of believing yourself, what are you believing? You're believing them and not you. You have to crucify self to be involved in faith, but you can't do that because faith is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, but that is not our word gift. We think of that. A gift is what it's something you gave or you get or you give it to God. No, the word is doron. It means a sacrifice. God has to put faith in men's hearts. And remember, faith and believe are basically the same word. One is the verb, the other is the noun. I couldn't figure out, why does the Bible say, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? When I was young, and we're saved by grace through faith, they're the same thing. Faith is the word pistis. Believe is the word P-I-S-T. There's the stem of the word. E-U-O. The word ending is changed depending on some character of the word. Noun, verb. Verb shows action. If you believe, it's something you're going to do. He that doeth truth cometh to light. You can't believe God without changing. You have to become a new creature, a new creation. 
sometimes that creation takes a lot of time. Now, let me give you some more of these things, and I'm going to go through these slowly. If there's one faith, there's a faith for believing God. Every time faith works, boy, everybody likes to quote Everybody likes to quote Ephesians 2.8 and say, For by grace you are saved through faith in that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, not of works, not of works, not like a parrot. Boy, all those independent Baptists I was raised around, they love not of works. And they never go to verse 10, the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, this is what we're predestined to. He hath before ordained that we should walk in these good works. Walk in good works. That word good is the word agathos, A-G-A-T-H-O-S. That's the same word. And we know that all things work together for good for beneficial benefit. I can stay on works. You're not saved by works, but you're saved by a working faith. If you don't want to work, and you never want to do anything for Christ, you're not a believer. Let me say that loud and clear. If you never want to do anything right for God and it hasn't changed your heart, you're not a believer. I don't care how many aisles you've walked down. The Bible says that. Faith. What is the works of faith? Look over there in Galatians 5. Here it is right here. Boy, it takes you from one thing to another. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Fifth chapter. Five and verse six. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. It doesn't say faith works by liking people. That's not what it says. Faith works. Faith works by agape. See, you're going to have to find out which word that is. You've got two words that have, have been ambiguously translated to L-O-V-E. They are not the same word. And what amazes me, some of the best scholars in America, when they write them down, they write them and say, well, one is interchangeable with the other. No, it's not. One is the word phileo. We get the word philos, philia, and they all mean to have affection for a philos is a friend that you have affection for. And Jesus said, you are my friends under one condition, that you do the things that I say. 
You cannot be a believer and have belief and not change your... You can't change your life. God has to change your life and change your heart. Otherwise, you can't go to heaven one day and you're not a believer. Does that make any of you question whether you're doing right or not? Yes. Uh, boy, it did me for a long time. But if you wrestle with it and you fight with it, you remember you got two people in you. you got the inner man and the outer man. The outer man wants to keep living for self the outer man is the flesh. Paul talks about the inner and the outer man all through his writings, particularly in that seventh chapter of Romans, also in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, also in the third chapter of Colossians. He says, put on the inner man. Put on in duo. E-N-D-U-O. Sink into clothing. And we only got... And here's another word that you talk about unsound doctrine is some of the worst doctrine out there and that is water baptism. Was Jesus washed in water? Yes. Why? It was a proselyte process. The Pharisees said if you would be washed in water, circumcised, Gosh, these things go from one thing to the other. Circumcised, and then you will be offered two turtle doves, and you could be a member of the kingdom of God or Israel. And they kept calling Jesus a Samaritan, which they hated. They don't consider them Israelites. That was northern Israel. Not going to go into all the reasons. They didn't consider people from Samaria. And Jesus was raised in the land of Zebulon. That's where Nazareth is. They didn't know he was from Judah. So if he would be washed in water and perform the doctrines of the Pharisees, they would have to listen to him. That's why John the Baptist said in John the first chapter, this is why Jesus was washed, that Christ might be made manifest to Israel. So the Pharisees would have to listen to him. That was a that was a it was a process in order to become a member of Israel. So there's one faith, there's one Lord, one baptism. What is the baptism? Here's something that'll make Baptists and Church of Christ angry. This'll make them reproach us and make us infamous. Whether anybody likes this or not. You can find this in any number of books. Take the B volume of McClinic and Strong. Look up Baptize. It will tell you. This, it look up Mr. Girdlestone. Robert Baker Girdlestone, one of the great scholars of Hebrew and Greek in the last 500 years. He's got a book on Old Testament synonyms. He will tell you that you they when the translators came to baptize, they were stymied. They didn't know what to do. Because baptize was not a verb that we've made it into. He says baptize was an infinitive. That's exactly what what McClinic and Strong says in the B volume. 
he will say that this was a verbal noun. Well, I thought you said it was infinitive. A verbal noun is an infinitive. Verbal noun. It is a noun nonetheless. It has verbal character. It means that the that the fluid comes from an outer source and he says, Mr. Girdlestone says it has two meaning. It means to cover. To cover does not mean to dip. If I'm cold and I'm, I'm in bed and I've got a cold nature and I tell Mary to cover me up with a blanket, it don't mean she dips me into the blanket. She pulls the blanket over me. That is to cover... And he says it means to stain or to die. An infinitive is the condition of something after an action has been taken upon it. When the Bible says, when Peter in Acts 10.48 commands those people at the house of Cornelius to be baptized in the name, to be baptized is an infinitive. How do you know that? Well, you can look that up in an analytical lexicon. You have to be interested to find out. It's an infinitive. And it means to cover, to stain, or to die. I'll tell you what you do. Get your concordance. If you got an old one, they've modified some of these new ones. Look in your concordance. Look up baptize. It will say baptizo to cover. That means you're going to pull something over it to cover. And then it says, see babto. When we go to babto, it says to stain with a dye in your concordance. So when the translators got to baptize, I have, you know how many Wednesday nights I have taught on this? So much I can't even count. I think water is one of the big false doctrines. It's unsound doctrine. It's just like Glenn said to me one night after I'd taught on it. He said, if men only think of water, they're never going to get to the blood. He has washed her from our sins in his own blood in that seventh chapter of Revelation. A blood baptism was a death. What did Jesus mean when he says to the apostles, can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? He doesn't mean, are you able to be dipped in water? He doesn't mean that. When he said there's one baptism, Paul says that around 55 A.D., That's when he wrote to the Ephesians, somewhere in that neighborhood. It was in 33 A.D. that Jesus was nailed to the cross and the Bible says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, the rituals, which was contrary to to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. I told you about Mr. Mr. Edersheim and Mr. Uh, and in the McClinic and Strong and in Adolf Dyson's books on Colossians how that they'll tell you when they wanted to do away with the contract they'd take the contracting parties out in public they'd take the two witnesses which you find 
in Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19, and Numbers 35, they had to have two witnesses in every one of their contracts. They take them out in public. It says everybody would agree in it that we're going to invalidate this contract. They'd say yes. They take a nail and drive it through it like we would take a notary stamp and stamp it. That held up in their courts of law. How many preachers have ever even said anything like that that you've heard? I never heard it. But it's in the books. And what does blotting out the handwriting of ordinances? There were two handwritings. One on tables of stone. Another there on the fleshy tables of our heart. You think he's going to blot out the one on our hearts? No. He's going to blot out the ones on tables of stone. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, everything became spiritual. Including the Sabbath. I had an old man call me last night. How do you know he was old? Well, I told him how old I was. He said, I'm older than you, and you ought to listen to me. Can't you learn something? I said, look, if you call to me and argue with me, I'm not going to talk to you. He said, all right, goodbye. If you call me to fight with me, I even quoted some of this stuff to him. I find that when you quote verbatim, it's kind of like the guy that got mad at me for walking in his store with God doesn't love everybody t-shirts on. He said, don't you come in our store again wearing that shirt. Well, that's because, and I kept telling him, God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil. Now, you can tell people that, and that don't mean nothing. They say, well, I just think God knew from the beginning who would accept him and who wouldn't. That's right, he did. There's none that seeketh after God. If he hadn't preordained himself a family, nobody's coming. That's what the Bible says. I'm just... I am sick of the lies going on in America. We're being lied to about history. We're being lied to. And every historian knows that. Dan walked in a while ago, and he'll tell you that he knows a lot of the history is a lie. I guess maybe that's why he works at the prison instead of teaching. I don't know. He got him a job at the prison. He's kind of executive position out there. I said, why don't you teach? And I don't know. Maybe he would not want to lie to him, but want to tell him the truth. You've got all these unsound doctrines. If your mother is Jerusalem, and she has, the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. This is the first commandment with promise that you'll have a long life. And then the Bible says, Wisdom and understanding is a tree of life, and in her hand is long life and length of days. So the mother and the tree of life are the same. And if you have a tree of life, you've got sound doctrine. You've got uncorrupt words. Is anybody here, let me ask you this. I went for years confused about the difference between faith and belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. For our grace you saved through faith. Then anybody else wonder besides me, how do you have faith and belief? Do you ever wonder that? It's because it's the same word. One's the noun, the other's the verb. It's that simple. Great day in the morning.
But boy, you start defining things and people get crazy on you, don't they? Start telling them what these great scholars said. Mr. It's more than just these guys, but Mr. Girdlestone says that when the translators got to the word baptized, they were stymied. So what they did, they took this noun, they took this noun, verbal noun, it has an action taken up on the subject, but it doesn't dip the subject in anything. A noun is a person, place, or thing that has an action taken upon it. That's an infinitive. If you had any English, you'll know that. So that's an infinitive. And they took this noun. They said, we don't know what to do with it. So we'll translate it into English and turn it into a verb. Which means to dip. Well, dip is just part of it. It means to stain and to die. And I've taught so much on this. I've got one I've got one DVD that's got four baptism messages on it. And if you listen to them, and I have people want to fight me on that every day, and they don't know nothing about it. Nothing. I have never heard a preacher, never in my life, even address the laws of the Pharisees. And you, there are books you can get on the literature of the sages literature of sages volume 1 and volume 2 1 and 2 and the sages were a sage was a wise man but these were the wise men of the Pharisees which had been the Babylonian rabbis the wise men of the Pharisees and you can study those along with the Mishnah. And I've got copies of the Mishnah. You can study these and boy, you talk about get confused. If you listen to these preachers today, they will mess your mind up. And it, what's so amazing, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. All you got to do is define, 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 define. And you'll come up with some answers. You've got, i got a whole list of things here. I hear people all the time, I heard some politicians say, we'll be praying for you. No, you won't. You knucklehead. One of the big famous politicians, we'll pray for them. You will prosuchamai for them. P-R-O-S-E-U-C-H-O-M-A-I. Prayer is the word prosukamai. Prayer is the word prosuke. And prayer is the verb, and this is the noun. It comes from pros and uk. Pros means toward. It's our word pro or for. And uk means to will or desire. Prayer means to will or desire oneself toward the will of another. Prayer means to bow to the will of God. That's what it means. You think some politician is going to bow to the will of God for somebody? What they mean is, 
Well, you have my well wishes. That's what they mean. That's fine. Do that. Say, I'm wishing for you. But don't say, I'm praying for you. Because you're not. You're not bound to the will of God. God, if you want these people to die, have your will in their life. We don't know what they need. I pray all the time, Lord, you know what I need. I don't know what I need. Is anybody confused here about your future and about what the need is in your life? Is anybody? Well, guess what? That's what everybody has been. You have to come to a place, if you get old enough, to say, Lord, your will is being done, whether I like it or not. That's prayer. Lord, you know, I don't know what I need. Lord, I'm under a lot of stress and strain. And I know that's me. And if I learn not to do that, I'll be better off. Lord, help me not to stress over my life. Give me strength to do what I need to be doing instead of this sitting around worrying and stressing all the time. Wouldn't that make that life easier if you could learn? If you can already learn that your life has already been planned for you. But people don't want to do that because I've got a lot of dreams about doing things for my life. Well, dreams are dreams. They're just... Uh, they're. Uh, Mental myth is what they are. They don't mean nothing. If you can get old enough, you'll buy to that. Now, there's something that's taking over the world. I don't know if you know this or not. The charismatic movement. Now, that there's error in that. Charis is the word Grace. And the charismatics don't have the grace of God. Grace, charis, means unmerited favor. They say we've got all these gifts that God's given us. Unmerited favor. Well, they don't have any favor. They believe in tongues. They believe in they believe in faith healing. They believe in you can speak it with your mouth and get it. It's all crazy. If you actually do enough studying the Bible, I've spent 63 years studying the Bible. I have spent the last 40 digging into the Greek text. And if you want to know where I get all these words from, I get them out of my Greek books. I don't make up anything. Nothing. If you think I'm standing up here just spouting off, you're really wrong. I'm giving you information, and I am sick of the preachers. I'll tell you who I'm sickest of. The so-called conservative evangelical Bible believers. They make me sick. People like, what was his name that just died down in Florida? The so-called conservative predestinationist. He used words so big that nobody could understand them. If if they can't understand the words, define them for them. Tell them what they mean. Now, these people, these charismatics, the charismatics, you can be a Baptist, you can be a Pentecostal, you can be a Church of Christ, a Church of Christ. You can be uh, a Presbyterian. You can be a Catholic. You can be anything and be a charismatic. They do not believe in discussing their doctrines. 
It's like T.D. Jakes was a united Pentecostal before he joined the charismatic movement. You do know that they believe that you have to be dipped in water in the name of Jesus only or you're not saved. That's what the doctrine of his background believes in. You have to be dipped in water and as they dip you in water, they have to be saying in the name of Jesus only. Otherwise, you're not going to heaven. Now, see, he can't tell those people that on TBN, but that is his background. The apostolics believe that too. They believe in the name of Jesus only, and that has to be said over you while you're being dipped in water. Otherwise, you're going to hell. It's, it's crazy. They all believe in... Uh, here is a doctrine that is a hellish doctrine. They believe in Pentecostal tongues. It's utterly... That is one of the... And all of that appeals to their emotions. Pentecostal tongues. And nobody bothers to find out the history of the tongues. They don't even bother to define the word tongue in Acts the second chapter. Now, I've been on this Pentecostal tongues and positive confession. Positive confession is just an out-and-out lie. You can't say it with your mouth and get it. In other words, you can say, they believe you can say, they, you can say, Cadillac, Cadillac, come on, Cadillac, I get a Cadillac. Now, while you say that, you have, can stipulate whether you want the gold trim, the gold trim on the Cadillac. I get that, God. I get it, I get it. I get the Cadillac. It's mine. All you have to do is say it with your mouth. And they call that positive confession. That was brought to America by a man named E.W. Kenyon. See, nobody even cares about who E.W. Kenyon is. He got this from the Far East. And the Far East, if you go to, if you go over to India, any of those countries over there, and you meet with a guru, that means master or teacher. And he will tell you to lay down on this on this rug here, I guess maybe it's a magic carpet or something, and it's got all of these these crystals in the carpet. And they say all these crystals have positive and negative charges that you can lay on that and say these words and you can be healed. Now you believe that? No, I don't believe that. And he brought this, E.W. Kenyon brought this to America and a man named Kenneth Hagen got a hold of this doctrine, put it into the Pentecostal movement and they took certain verses out of the Bible took certain verses out of the Bible and twisted them to make it look like you can have your way with your words. One of their favorite verses is found over in the fourth chapter of Romans. 
This is one of their favorite verses. You've got to get specific about definitions to find out what things mean. Romans, the fourth chapter. Now, I haven't studied this a little bit. I have buried my head in my books for the last 40 years, sometimes 30, 35, 40 hours a week. That's why I can remember. I don't remember everything I read. I only remember a small portion of what I read. Now, here in the fourth chapter, this is one of their favorite verses. Fourth chapter of Romans. All right. Now, when you tell people these truths, they get mad at you because you're playing with their smooth life. They've got a cushy, soft, cotton candy, marshmallow life they like to lay in so they don't have to struggle with nothing. If you're not agonizing over your sin, you're not a believer. Somewhere in your life, you have to agonize. Agonizomize the word strive to enter in at the straight gate. Strive comes from the word agon. The agon was the arena at Rome where they fed the Christians to the they fed them to the to the gladiators, turned them loose on the lines. Here it is, right here. This was the agon, that great big Colosseum there. He came around here like this, and they fed the Christians to the lions. Agonizomai. And that's not your choice. That's an imperative mood. How can you tell that it's an imperative mood? Don't just come up and say, is that an imperative mood? You have to look it up in an analytical lexicon. It'll say, IMP. Means it's a command. Well, if Jesus is the one saying, agonize, and it's a command, is every one of his commands going to come to pass? Huh? If he's not commanding anybody except he that hath an ear to hear. When the Bible says, let him hear, that's third person singular. Let him hear. And that's also an imperative mood, akuo, A-K-O-U-O. The hearing, hear, and the seeing, I, the Lord, has made even both of them. So when you strive, you have to agonize. You're like you're in an arena with the lions. The lions are the Baptists and the Pentecostals, and they're out to get us. And they're going to feed us to the lions or the gladiators. And you have to be agonizing over it. You're agonizing over this outer man and want to retain him, and you don't have any right to retain the outer man. Now... This is one of their favorite verses. And when you expose them, they don't know what to do. They've got many favorite verses they have. This is one of the top verses. Talking about the Lord, 
that the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all there in verse 16 the last phrase as it is written I have made thee a father of many nations that's God talking before him whom he believed even God who quickeneth the dead only God quickens the dead you can't make yourself alive with your will we were born John 1 13 not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That word will is thelema. In John 1.13, it means determine. Or determination. You're born by the determination of God and who will be his children. Not by your will. You have to have faith, but you don't have any. None seeks after God, and if God doesn't put faith there, which is death to self, I said a while ago, they, they love to quote Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you save that uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But they never go to verse 10. Never heard a Baptist go to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, his possessive pronoun, workmanship, We are God's poema. His workmanship. Poema comes from poeo. It means to do. We are God's doing. It's God that works in you to willing to do of His good pleasure. We are God's doing. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works which God hath before ordained. Before ordained is one word in the Greek ordained before ordained is the word proetoimazo p-r-o-e-t-o-i-m-a-z-o that's the word before ordained it comes from pro meaning before hetoimas h-e-t-o-i-m-a-s means to fit up in advance. Fit up before or in advance that we should walk in these good works of God. Faith worketh by love. Galatians 5 and 6. Faith works by agape. And agape is walking in the commandments of God by agape, by love. But you have to know what that word is. It's agape. And Second John 6 says, this is agape. This is agape, that we walk after His commandments. Second John 6. Notice how all this walks, works together. Walk after God's commandments. That's how faith works. If we're walking after the commandments of God, we're walking in faith. But faith is not something you use to get what you want. It's something God uses in you to get what He wants. It's death to self. If we can get to death to self and get over ourselves, life gets easier. But that only happens when you get in your 70s or 80s. I can't help you if you're young. You're just going to have to believe me. 
Are you through struggling? No, by not by any means. If you're under 60, you're probably still struggling. What are we going to do for... If you hadn't figured out what you're going to do with your life by the time you get 60 years old, I don't know what to do for you. There ain't nothing to do. That means God hasn't resolved you yet. He may have to beat you with the nature of your life till he gets you up to 75 or 80 and then say, you got this? That's not your enemies beating on you. That's God. So God is before ordained that we walk in these good works and where faith works by agape. And without faith without works is a dead faith. I keep saying, faith is like a car. It's like a car. That's faith. How does a car work? With a motor. A car without a motor is a dead piece of tin. It's worthless. It's not worth anything if it won't run. Your faith is a dead faith if it doesn't have a motor and the motor is agape. Walking in the commandments of God. That's what the Bible plainly says. And I was raised in a Baptist preacher's home, and boy, all those independent Baptist preachers loved not of works, not of works, not of works, and sounded like a parrot. They said that over and over and over again. You ever been around one of those people? That means they don't know nothing about nothing. And I'd just rather go fishing to have to go to one of their churches on Sunday morning. Here, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not going to the next verse. We are his workmanship. Now, these charismatics, they have unsound doctrine. How much time do I have, Mike? 20. It may take me a long time to get through this unsound doctrine. I'm going to go through the spiritual Sabbath again because if you believe that you're supposed to keep the Sabbath as it was kept in the Old Testament, nobody believes that. The Sabbath is spiritual. I don't have time to go into it right now because I can't do it in 20 minutes. If you... Go to a restaurant after you go to church. If you keep a seventh-day Sabbath or you keep a Saturday Sabbath, there were more Sabbaths than that. Sabbath, Shabbat, meant rest. It didn't mean seventh. Every one of the holy days, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, they weren't always on the seventh day, but they were always Sabbaths. And the first day after the Passover was a Sabbath, and seven days later was a Sabbath. Now, if you're going to keep a Sabbath, you've got to keep them all. And you've got to do it the way they did it. Exodus 16, 22 through 29, there's, there's no cooking on the Sabbath. No cooking. You cannot go to some restaurant and let a cook there at the restaurant cook for you and you contribute to his breaking of the Sabbath. 
Okay. Right? And no one does any work on the Sabbath. In Exodus 31, if you do any work, if you move a TV across the room, you have to die, okay? <laughs> it's ridiculous. You can't... And you can't go out of your house. In the 16th chapter of Exodus, the Bible says... Let every man abide in his own place on the Sabbath. Don't go nowhere. Don't go to church. Don't go listen to some preacher preach, because if you do, you'll get into, get into a four-cylinder car. Now, you won't be breaking the Sabbath as much as you'd be when a six-cylinder or an eight-cylinder. <laughs> because each one of those... Each one of those cylinders is going to fire every few seconds. And when you do, you're going to be starting fires in each one of those cylinders. And those cylinders. And in Exodus 35, 2 and 3, you, whoever works is put to death. And whoever kindles a fire has to die on the Sabbath. So if you drive your car on Saturday, then you have to die. Okay? You got that? Would you like to commit suicide? <laughs> and then you can't you can't have any pleasure on the Sabbath. No pleasure. Isaiah fifty eight thirteen says no pleasure or opinions on the Sabbath. No Saturday afternoon football. No basketball, no driving, no going to the car races, none of that. There is no in Jeremiah seventeen twenty one says you can't have any burdens on the Sabbath. You can't pick anything up. They couldn't do anything but lay on a blanket in their house or some kind of a nap situation. That's all they could do. They had to stay at home. Is that how you want to keep the Sabbath? They were the priests were over there violating the Sabbath, and yet they were guilty, as the Bible says. They were in there working, offering offerings on the Sabbath day, but they didn't have an audience of people saying, Amen, praise God. Didn't have that. People they want to talk about God would cause all the new moons, the feast days, and the Sabbaths to cease in Hosea 2.11. Now, I'm going to go through this when I get ready to teach on the spiritual Sabbath. Spiritual Sabbath has to do with believing in the sovereignty of God and predestination. Because when you believe, if you can come to a place where you can stop worrying and being concerned about where you are in life, about whether you're accomplishing what you should, if you can come to the place of saying everything is the will of God, and you can rest in it, the word Sabbath means rest. And the Bible says those people in the wilderness that murmured against God, they could not enter into God's rest. And they, that word is katalpasis. That's the, that's the spiritual word and God calls that spiritual rest he calls it the Sabbath 
and they couldn't enter into God's rest in the third chapter of Hebrews because of unbelief. And God had to kill everybody from 20 years old and upward. That was military age in the army of Israel. It had to be 20. And when God told all of these these soldiers to go in and spy out the land of Anak, and they came back and said, the Anakims are too big for us, they're tall, they're gigantic men, and we can't whip them. God said, just for that, you were up there 40 days spying out those people. I'm going to put you a year for a day and make you 40 years in the wilderness until I kill off everybody that didn't believe me that was 20 years old and upward as of the time they got to Kadesh Barnea. That was at the beginning of their journey. And the Bible says they couldn't enter into God's Sabbath or into rest because they didn't believe God. You know what worry and stressing out over your your job or whether things are going to work out or not? You know what that is? That's sin in our lives. Has everybody conquered that yet? Thank you, Dee, for shaking your head no. We haven't conquered it, have we? Will you conquer it? If you can get as old as Milton, you can. Because you get 95 and you don't care whether it works or not. You get old as Betty and Betty had a car and she couldn't drive anymore she couldn't get C so she just gave it to the ministry to give it away and it was a real nice car I can't use it take and give it to somebody that can when you get to be 90 you're not going to care about these things that you care about now I'm 80 and when I was when I was in my 40s particularly in my 30s, I was a basket case because I wasn't getting where I thought I ought to be in life. Then I ended up here teaching the Greek and the Hebrew from a pulpit. And if you'd have told me that when I was 20, I'd say, that won't ever be. I'm not even interested in that. I'm going to have to go back through all, all this unsound doctrine. Tongues is unsound doctrine. Pentecostal tongues is an out and out lie. And the charismatic movement is spreading all over the world. It is a comfortable doctrine. It's not a blasphemous doctrine. It's not the one that makes you infamous. Everybody wants to be in it because they got an easy way to live. Look at this Romans 4. God quickens the dead and calls things that be not as though they were. Something that was not. Something that was not. You can find that in Jeremiah 31, 15. Genesis 42 and 13. Jeremiah 10 and 20. You can find it all through the Bible. Proverbs 12 and 7. Something that was not was something that was dead. And this is not talking about you can call things that be not by saying with your mouth, Cadillac, Cadillac, come on, Cadillac. It'll tell you the next verse what it's talking about. Who against hope. Abraham had no hope. 
His loins were dead. Sarah had no hope. She didn't ovulate anymore. She couldn't have children. And God turns to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son. And it's not possible. But it's possible with me. And the Bible says, who against hope believed in hope that he, Abraham, might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And he says this all through the Old Testament. Says it in Romans 9 and 7, Hebrews 11 and 18, Galatians 3 and 8 and 16. He talks about the seed of God will be called in Isaac. Isaac was raised from the dead loins of his father, the dead womb of his mother, and he considered not his own body now dead, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. And God quickened her womb and quickened his loins, and he was a hundred years old and she was ninety when Isaac was born. That's what that's talking about. That's not going about, say, Cadillac, Cadillac. What does a Cadillac have to do with these verses right here? There's nothing. And what amazes me is people don't even look. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's calling things that be not. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief is the word apistis, A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. The alpha primitive negates the word. It means no faith. He, it, he didn't have no faith. He had faith. Believed God. And there's dozens of other verses where these guys just get crazy and go to. And they take the word of God and twist it. And they don't know that you've got two different words for tongue. But I never have heard a uh, Pentecostal say that at all. You have the word glossa and the word dialectos. I'll have to go over this again. I've done a lot of this on Wednesday night. I've got a lot of tapes on it. I got a message I got one DVD that's got four tongues messages on it. You have the word dialectos. And you have the word glossa. Dialectos is our word dialect. Dialect. They had a different dialect in every city-state. A city-state was where a city ruled to a boundary. In Israel, that city was Jerusalem. When you got into northern Israel, they had a northern dialect of the Greek Koine. Koine is the word common. They had a common street language in every city-state and those Dialects would differ as much as Spanish and Italian in our day and time. Now, these are both Latin languages, and if you speak Spanish, you'll understand a word once in a while in Italian. I don't speak Spanish, but I'll recognize words 
when somebody's speaking Spanish once in a while. But just because you can speak Italian don't mean you can speak Spanish. Doesn't mean that, but they're both Italian in origin, along with any of the Spanish languages. Well, they had a different dialect over here in Turkey. They had a different dialect. They had a northern dialect in Samaria, which is northern Israel, northern Israel. And when Jesus comes to the apostles and tells them, at the end of his life, he resurrects from the dead, he goes into northern Galilee, goes into a house where they are, walks through a wall, and appears to them. He could do that, you know. He was Jesus. And he tells them to go into all the world and teach all nations. These were northern Galileans. The only one that was from southern Judah was Judas. Of course, he's dead. He's hanged himself. Northern Galilee was considered the redneck part of the country. Ignorant. They didn't speak, but usually most of them spoke one dialect. And these were Jews that had come from every nation under heaven to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem for the feasts. Mainly because that was a commandment of God in Exodus, the 23rd chapter. And since they had been a nation for 500 years under kings and about 400 years under judges, and they kept going after all of these Baal and the Grove and Shemash and Molech. And this was the same system was brought, brought in the church, renamed the Christ Mass, Christ Mass, and God says, I'll scatter you with the beast. And he scattered them all over the world. But they still had these requirements in Exodus 23 that all the males had to come back to Jerusalem. And they were scattered all over the world. And when they come back, they're coming back from everywhere speaking all of these dialects and glossa. Glossa means foreign language. We get the word glossary from glossa. And being foreign languages, they were speaking every... They had been in captivity 600 years because they went after Christ's Mass. The tongues has to do with the Christ's Mass. Here they are. Got this out of the compendia. This shows the Jews coming back to Jerusalem. And they're coming back from all over the world where they had been scattered. Here's Turkey... Here's Greece, here's Italy, here's Egypt down here, and Ethiopia down here, and, and here's Israel right here on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. They're all coming back, those Arabs point back to here, and they're all speaking a different dialect of the Greek corne all over the world, and they can't even understand each other. That's why God brought about that miracle of the tongues in Acts 2 it was the method of them getting the message to all the world they said how hear we ever man in our own dialect not tongue it's the word dialectos how do we hear in the own dialect wherein we were born this man that was coming from Cyrene here, he was hearing Peter over here in his Cyrenian dialect. 
the man up here at Corinth was hearing his Corinthian dialect. The man over here at Carthage was hearing in his Carthaginian dialect of the Koine common Greek language. This ain't got nothing to do with Shandala Mondo Kandai Shandai Mondo Shopaka That is stupid. I'm embarrassed when somebody starts speaking in goofball tongues. That's not tongues, that's dialects in Glossa. And you only have dialects mentioned in Acts 2. You have, act, you have dialects and Glossa, but when you're in 1 Corinthians 14, you only have Glossa. That's because they had all those different languages and people traveling through Corinth. And Paul said, look, you come into the church. Don't come in here. Speak it in your Spanish dialect. Get an interpreter. Have it by twos and threes at the most. And take them over in a corner. Don't do it publicly. Even if the charismatics were right, they're wrong. Because they do it publicly over TV and nobody's doing the interpreting. And it's not dialects and it's not glossy. But you tell Pentecostals this and they get enraged. And this is not like I made this up. Get the compendia. Get the literature of the sages. Get the first two volumes of it. The Jews in the first century. They'll tell you all about it. I have spent my life studying this. I used to go in Pentecostal churches as a gospel singer. And when I'd go in there and somebody would do this, I knew it was baloney. And boy, people say, you're just blaspheming God. No, you're blaspheming God by taking God's Word and making it mean something it doesn't mean. The whole entire Pentecostal movement is blaspheming God. Without those commands for them to come from all over the world and without them going after all these sun and tree gods the very reason they went after these fire and tree goddesses was the same reason was the same thing when Constantine brought all this into the church in 325 AD because he was about to lose the empire to the Goths, the Visigoths, the Vandals the the Roman Empire only ruled let me see here they only ruled the region of the Mediterranean Sea they had all of these Huns and Vandals and Goths and Ostrogoths and Visigoths and Constantine was afraid he's going to lose the empire to them so he says we'll amalgamate the church and bring all of their gods into the church, their tree goddesses. That's the same thing that Israel went after. How do you know that? Because the Bible says in Revelation 17 and 5 that Babylon mothered all idolatry. Therefore, if these people were involved in idol worship that Constantine brought in the church, that's the same thing that Israel was involved in for 500 years under kings. They were all involved in the same thing. I'm out of time. I guess I better quit. I can talk about this all day into the night.
I don't like the preachers. I don't like what's going on. And I'm a very unpopular man. You know how much response I'll get on this? And people will pay no attention to dialects and glosses. I preached a message on why I hate Pentecostalism. People say, you hate Pentecostals because I didn't say I hate Pentecostals. I hate Pentecostalism because it is a downright lie, just like Luther said. And I'm willing to stand up and say that. My cardiologist told me one day, I was in his office. He said, we know you're not going to be a politician, not the way you talk. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to level with everybody. I level with him. I told him one day, I said, I really like you, Dr. LaPoulos. I hope God deals with your heart to believe him someday. Because I like you. He's likable. And he picks at me all the time. He said, you don't think Jesus is going to make you well just because you're a preacher, do you? <laughs> I said, no, I don't believe that. Not when you're my age, you got my health problems. The reason I got my health problems is because I don't have enough faith to be healed, I guess. <laughs> Stupid. That's a dumb doctrine, isn't it? It's great. It's insane. I heard that Kenneth Hagin, when he was dying, he had Copeland in the room. He had, he had Jesse Duplantis in the room. And that he said, boys... I think this faith healing, I think we've been on the wrong track. And Jesse DePlanter said, well, it works for me, and he stomped out. No, it'll work till you're old and falling apart. I don't like that guy. Anybody that makes jokes about the Bible, I don't like them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to understand that we're in the middle of the apostasy. It's here, full force. We're hearing it on every hand from every every area. I'm really tired. I'm wore out with all of this, Lord. I know I don't have many friends. I got the people here. But out in the world, people want to destroy this ministry. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles. I don't feel like fighting anybody. I'll say your truth, but when it comes to the fight, Lord, that belongs to you. The battle belongs to the Lord. We'll praise you for everything that you do. In Christ's name, amen. I got a whole lot of other things that's false doctrine. Thank you, Jim. That was real good. A lot of stuff, isn't it? That's a bunch of info. Yeah. Well, if we can't figure that out. I don't know how to do it. That's that's a blister. 
It's a blister. I don't care what it is. I can't get it off. Mary, it's a blister. Hey, what are you doing, Zacho? What's going on? Not much. Not much. I haven't heard this in a while. Huh? I haven't heard this in a while. Well, That's good. you need to read that. Keep on reading it. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. I love you, brother. I'm going to come here tonight. I'm not going to be here. Not on Sunday nights. It's it's been it's been killing me and my back has been. I hate to say this, but good. It's too much, man. Well, I've got to rest. Too much. Well, if I get to where I'm not hurting like I am, and I get to where it's not pushing me, I'll go back to Sunday nights. Yeah, it's really. They got videos. Got what? Videos I got? Well, Sunday night, we'll just whip up the old video. Yep, we can do that. Hey, Brother Brown. Thank you. You mind if I look at this real quick? Do what? You mind if I look at that real quick? Yeah, but I can't lose that. You okay. can look at it. How you doing? Doing pretty good. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I want to see that book. Can I look at it? What's the name of it? It's Legends, Lies, and Cherished Myths of American History by, by Richard Shankman. You want to write that down? You have a pen? I don't have yeah. a pen with me. Yeah, I got one. And you'll probably have to order it at at Barnes & Noble. Okay. But you can order it. Just take one of those and write it on the back. Okay. I'll write it down. Thank you. It's a... In fact, he's got several books. But I do it. By Shankman. Richard Shankman. He's a very famous historian. Shankman. S H E N K M A N. This is, he's got one called I Love Paul Revere. Whether he wrote or not, he tells you about all these things that didn't happen in our history that they wrote in our history books. That's him right there. Very intelligent man. Highly respected by highly respected by uh, these historians. And he'll tell you the truth. Do you have the book The Myth of Mary? The what? The Myth of Mary. Yeah, but that's hard to get a hold of. No, I've got one. Do you? Okay. Well. If if they do, just tell them. Okay, I will. 